The following is a conversation with Natalie Renz, the founder and CEO of Astria, the company planning on housing the first people on Mars. It was an awesome conversation, and I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to Max Depth. I'm super excited to have you on. Pleasure to be here. Um, awesome. Well, for everyone that doesn't know, could you uh, could you tell your story, how, how we got here? Um, sure. Um, I'm Natalie Runs. I'm the founder and CEO of Astria. Uh, we're a startup with the mission of building the first settlement on Mars. Um, and we're working to essentially build housing that we can uh, fabricate, ship, assemble, have it be super self-sufficient. Um, obviously, ultimately, once we get to Mars, but um, starting and iterating with sustainable developments on Earth. Um, I got here through a pretty, I guess, non-conventional route. Um, my background was in biomedical science. I did a PhD in neuroscience. Uh, I think really because of that first drive to work on human survival, um, support humanity in general, and then with all of the ramp up with the space activity and with you know SpaceX and Elon, um, started looking into what would actually be required to survive <laughs> once we get to, shipped off on a rocket to Mars and didn't look super promising. So that's how we ended up building building houses. How fundamental was thinking in first principles for you in starting this company? Oh, I think, I, I don't think there's any way that we would have, well, I would have come here without boiling things down to the absolute basics. Um, you know, if your background is in something like biomedical science, um, it's not super, or neuroscience, it's not super intuitive to go into housing construction <laughs> unless you boil things down to that very first question of, you know, what does it actually take to survive on another planet? Or if we are trying to come up with a universal system of sustaining life artificially, essentially, you know, what are those basics that are required for a human? Um, and if you boil down this pyramid, you know, you get all the upper parts, which I was more familiar with, which is the psychology and, you know, human health, et cetera. And then you go down the level and you're like, okay, humans need food. <laughs> um, and then like, you keep going down to the, like the most bottom layer of that pyramid. It's like, okay, but if you don't even have shelter around you, especially on Mars, but also increasingly on earth, then um, yeah, you also don't survive. So I think coming down to that very basic level of the problem was super important. And then obviously like we're coming into an industry um, where like construction hasn't progressed for about 50 years in terms of its production output. We have not only a sustainability crisis with housing, but also just a global affordability and supply crisis with it. So I think it's similar. It's like if we come in and we try to solve the problem the same way as everyone else has been trying to solve it for decades, there's no way we'll, we'll win. So you have to bake it down to, you know, instead of like, what is a house? What is it that actually makes up a house? You know, what do you actually need from it? Like you need protection from the exterior. You need heat. <laughs> um, yeah, you need comfort. And so I think the more you bake things down to like the most fundamental level, the more likely you, you are to find different solutions to it. And are there things in the houses that we're building for, for Mars that, aren't going to be in the uh, Habitat Zero homes? Like, are there special modification that you need to make to the Mars homes to make them more, uh, to make them suitable for life on Mars? Yeah, like the way that we look at it is Mars is basically the 100% optimization. You know, everything has to be amazing there because if you have a slip in your self-sufficiency, 
you die. <laughs> if your shelter is suddenly like has a breach of its pressure, you die. Like it's a very strong, like yes or no. <laughs> um, and so we don't obviously have to have that same level for us to have, you know, useful earth housing. Um, so that is the level that we're trying to get to. And then instead of saying from day one, hey, we have to build these like ridiculously hardcore houses, we're like, it's probably going to take us, let's say like a whatever ballpark, a hundred iterations, like major iterations of housing to get to that point, um, to get more and more efficient, to get our costing down with higher production, et cetera, to integrate more features. You know, we're starting like first house development. We're like, let's tackle energy. Like we've got to net zero. It's like next one's like, let's tackle water. Like let's tackle the like home, like air purity, et cetera. And just keep getting more and more advanced with every single iteration until we get to the point that we are like near, I think Mars for what we build on earth. And then I think we still have like bit more to go in terms of like hey radiation <laughs> things like that which are a little bit more unique to to mars and have you thought through those problems seriously for mars like honestly like we keep it in mind all the time because we we try to constrain our designs always to what are we actually going to need to get this to mars so we don't build with wood because we're like there's no point like we're not going to grow trees on mars like we think about our packing structure very heavily because and we have actually a thesis student working on um, like rapidly deployable structures for Mars and figure out how do we get this into the starship. <laughs> so like we, we think about those things even when we do our earth designs, but if anybody's like, Hey, like, why aren't you thinking about like whatever food supply systems for Mars? And like, we're trying to survive as like a very, very aggressive like earth company right now in this moment in time. So like, we know, like, like I would say like 99% of our focus is on, on like, let's just smash this first build, go get to the next one. Like, yeah, rather than kind of being like, hey, here's these really cool science thing, like projects, so yeah. Yeah, that's a reasonable approach to take. So I have two questions based on that. One is about funding and I, cause I looked on Crunchbase and it didn't, it wasn't like public. So I was wondering about how you, how you went about funding. Cause like, obviously, and um, also like your kind of, I guess, timeline of, of thinking like about I mean, right now we're obviously focused in the moment, like you have to take things day by day, but uh, I don't know if you have a timeline like mapped out in your head and obviously timelines change. Timeline for? Getting uh, getting to Mars. Um, on funding, like we've raised our pre-seed with the angel, like private investment. I'm honestly um, pretty outside of this startup scene in general. Um, I, yeah. I think there's a lot of startup theater. I think there's a lot of ego in that scene. I think venture capital um, is not the only way to fund a company, especially when it has such a long-term goal for it. You know, like we're not like a quick, like make an app and make billions and like exit the company kind of like scenario. We're very like, I, wa I want this to still be my company in 50 years if I'm still a good CEO, you know? <laughs> maybe 50, that's maybe pushing it, let's say 30. Um, so I think, yeah, one, I have not been super in that scene. Like we've gone for different routes of investment and I, I, I don't feel like my investment grounds and my valuation is what's important about us. So I don't see you know, that need to kind of be like, hey, we just raised this amazing round. I'm like, have we actually built something that helped someone? Yeah, like here's our development. <laughs> um, so I think that's part of the approach um, that we take. And then on timeline, it's like wait sorry sorry to interrupt what what are the alternative sources of funding that you're talking about like, like I was, uh, you can find like family offices high net worth individuals private equity corporate financing like yeah like people that tend to especially private equity um a lot of the yeah 
there's a lot more push coming from those kind of companies um, or those kind of organizations today to actually fund venture um, than there has been historically. And then I think because especially for us, we are very mission driven. You know, we're one mission driven for space, but also I think we're doing, we're on a pretty good step to help spread sustainable housing across earth as well, right? And so there's a lot more value alignment if you go to, you know, the family offices, for example, where they're trying to pass on their legacy that they're helping, you know, build better generations in, you know, in the future. So you can find that much better alignment or if you, you know, partner with like a major sustainable developer, um, obviously you get financing, but you get that like value alignment, which you don't necessarily find so easily with venture because their model is to return profit for their LPs, et cetera, or yeah. Um, so and do you get in contact with, for example, the family office just through network and through people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think like networking, the more outbound you are, like, I'm not actually, you know, I'm, we try to push some like media and just make sure people know what we're up to, et cetera. But it is because like the more people know what you're working on, as long as you're doing something meaningful, I think then the more like you tend to get like inbound communications that are people like, Hey, like, how do you actually, you know, get involved in this? Um, so yeah, networking and like outbound media are super helpful for that. Okay. And then timeline. Timeline. It really depends on, um, ask yeah. <laughs> rockets ready. Um, not our rockets, <laughs> humanities rockets. Um, yeah, but we are at least internally ballparking like 2030, 2031 for Mars to have everything for us ready. And then we need to start practicing shipping to the moon and assembling there like 2024, 2025. So. And, and the configuration of shipping is, a huge deal. Mm. Yeah, so based on the current dimensions that they have posted, which obviously they're still in R&D too, like we're all in R&D, um, but based on that, I think they have about 14 shipping containers worth in a, in a single Starship. Um, so basically that's at least on the um, weight is also important, but um, yeah, if we can get more and more homes packed into a couple of shipping containers, it brings our cost down um, on what we can sell these for on Mars, et cetera. So that's kind of um, what we're working towards also on earth. So if we can fit more home components into a shipping container, it means it's much easier for us to ship this to Africa or Caribbean or something. Um, so it makes it much like makes the reach easier, makes it much more scalable, but also obviously brings costing down for every house. So, um, so both scenarios, it's the same problem. Like, same problem, just more extreme for space because cost is a little bit higher. <laughs> Yeah. So are you, so are you thinking about those at the same time or does, or does earth shipping come first? Like um, it seems like there's kind of two problems that you're solving. Like the Mars one almost comes later. And as a result of like uh, more sustainable housing on earth, like are, are you, are there any, like, I don't know how to formulate this question, but like sustainable <laughs> housing on earth is, uh, a major, obviously like a major drive. And are you thinking about like trying to like expand beyond this 
first community? Um, like, is that, it just seems like there's two major, major goals, like Earth and Mars. Um, I think, again, we view it as a spectrum. It's your ultimate optimization is Mars, the same for its performance there or the shipping. Um, so if you view Mars as the 100 out of 100, and we know that that is the goal, then we can keep pushing towards that with our Earth developments um, and reach the majority of that with the similar mechanism, if not the same mechanism. You know, the, the way it, on a physics level, the way that you pack a house is going to be, you know, similarly optimized, whether it is on Earth or going to space, right? It's just that your costing and your like limits on weight, et cetera, and obviously tolerance to some degree on the material, like um, changes um, at a more extreme level, but the fundamentals of how do you pack a efficient shape do not change depending on which planet you're building for. Um, so I think it's a similar, like we view it as a like very um, coherent route to optimization. It's just that we can get away with something lower as we get there on Earth and still solve a problem um, on the way to actually solving for Mars. Does that make sense? 100%. <laughs> so, like, I guess when I first heard Elon's argument about, like, us becoming a multi-planetary multi species, I was just inspired that someone in a position of power was taking that idea really seriously. And then I also heard this quote some, like recently, and, and I think it was him saying something to the tune of like, yeah, I wonder how many single planetary species there are out there in the universe, like that didn't survive. Like if, like if we're thinking seriously about like the, the long scale human timeline, and like I've talked to friends and obviously like they have no idea, but they're like, yeah, we're, we're all like the species is going to die out in 200 years. I don't take such a pessimistic view, but I think it's a good, I think getting, I think, I think of getting to Mars, Mars as like a great hedge for the future, future of humanity and like sustaining ourselves. Do you think about it in the same way? Yeah, I think very much aligned with the mentality that sure, we can't estimate accurately what amount of time we have to safely remain on earth. You know, this could be days if Putin is crazy. <laughs> um, it could be much longer if we manage to actually get our act together and start shifting to sustainability across the board. Um, but ultimately the reality is that at some point in time we have to leave earth. Like, that is not a question. And so if you know that that is the requirement for our future survival, why not start working on that now um, instead of being like, oh, but maybe we can make another 200 years. <laughs> like, um, we have the capacity, we have the technology to do it now. So we should probably just get started on solving that. And I think as we start to solve those problems, then we end up actually helping earth anyway. So we probably secure a better future for not only our multi-planetary future, but also for just preserving earth before we've completely shredded it of all of its resources. Yeah. I have this idea. I know you were talking about like um, the space when Musk launched the spaceman into orbit. That was like a kind of like a pivotal moment in the creation of this company. Mm -hmm. What? So did this idea kind of just like come to you? Had you been thinking for a while about it before? Like, were you always interested in like this idea of Mars, or was that like 
or was it like a zero to one um, switch to get you interested into into space? Um, I've always been focused on the human survival element. Like I'm more driven to help that in cases where if you do not do anything, then you know that those people won't survive. So like I was super interested in obviously like creating medicinal cures, Alzheimer's, um, because there's are like horrific um, diseases where you simply, if you can make a solution for it, then you literally save life. Um, and I think in a similar way, like disaster response, things like this are always like refugee response have always been like um, areas that I would like to solve. And so space had less been on my radar because up until, you know, a decade ago, there had, there was literally no space program really doing anything, um, pushing the bounds of human exploration, pushing the bounds of human survival. Um, and it was only when SpaceX ramped up and when that Starman launch happened and you saw this humanoid figure heading off to space to Mars that it suddenly started to click into place. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is actually opening the door for possibility that we head off into space. And out of all the thousands of years that humanity has existed, this is the, the like single blip in time that you have the possibility to work on this challenge and to help make sure that that's a successful first step um, for, for us in history. Um, and so it was after that launch that I started looking to survive on space the very first like, time um, that I dived into that problem and it was just super severe. <laughs> it was like, there's like so few people working on solving it. There are so many things to solve. The timelines are insane. You know, if we actually have Starship heading to Mars and successfully landing in a decade, like there is nothing currently ready to actually make sure that we survive once we get there. And so that was really the drive to found Astria. It's just that it's a massive problem, which we are just fully not ready for. But I think that is that it is the most amazing challenge we could possibly solve in our lifetime. Um, and then I started having these kind of like crazy re recurring dreams about like the kind of control systems in these habitats. And I started trying to tackle those systems first. And I think kind of goes back to the starting conversation about the pyramid. I came to a moment in time where I realized that it doesn't even matter if we solve those like upper levels of human survival, if there's actually no shelter ready in the first place. And there are, to me, currently no other companies that are ready to solve that. And that would make it okay for us to just focus on the, you know, the, the fun AI systems or something like this. Um, and so that's why eventually it came down to this point of like, we just have to start building the actual habitation um, step one, so. In those dreams, when you were saying the control center, is that like, are those the things that are necessary on Mars that aren't necessary on Earth? I think there's a lot of similarities. Like we have a control system in our first build as well. So we monitor all the energy usage. We monitor all of the water usage. Um, we've got environmental condition monitors um, that are tracking temperature, humidity, pressure, air quality, light. Um, and then we're starting to bake in the first controls into that system as well. Um, and so, yeah, we are again, trying to get further and further and further with every single step that we build on earth. Um, and then once you get to Mars, obviously you have to have a system which 
can track all of those parameters in real time and knows instantly that there is a unexpected uh, behavior in your temperature because if your prediction for what the temperature should be does not match what it is, then that probably means that there is a breach somewhere or something is not performing um, and there's a fire. Um, and the more seconds that you have to, to address those problems or even automatically respond to them, the more likely you are to survive. Um, and then there are too many parameters in maintaining a complete artificial environment um, with no backup support um, to have that dependent on manual human control for it. So I think we have to work towards a like an autonomous system that can maintain the environment. And that would basic that would be through sensors and some type of built-in like self-regulating self-maintenance system. Yeah. So we have sensors throughout all of our homes here. Um, and then kind of just like this node-based distributed brain. Um, so yeah, similar, similar system obviously that we're working towards from ours. Ton of sensors, ton of real time um, prediction of what the environment should be doing and what it is doing, and then like super rapid anomaly detection. <laughs> um, yeah, anomaly detection and what did what was the what was the phrase you said? No node based interconnected brain, something like that. These like little baby brains that like sit in all of our walls and like just take the information, process it down, send it to the like the brain. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Is that, is privacy a concern? Um, like I know, well, there's, there's two sides you could tackle this from, like from the investor side. First of all, before I say that, I just want to say how awesome it is that I think you're thinking really hard about like long-term, like 30 years from now and like value alignment. Like, I think those are, I think you're totally doing the right thing. So props, props for that. Um, but the, this idea of like, because in, in venture funding or in funding in general, like a big part of it is like if this company can collect data because data is like, it's this commodity in itself. So I wonder if that's something you think about like the privacy slash data collection concerns slash potential like, uh, like benefits of that or like if I guess that's why the value alignment is so important because if you were working with a VC that was only profit driven then they would basically see oh they got sensors in the home great more data for us but versus like with a family office or someone more long term they they would interpret it as, as oh this is a necessary component of a self-sustaining self-regulating house that that is really like going to be useful. I was wondering if you if you look at it in both those like if you thought about it in both those ways before. Yeah, yeah. I should just clarify: there are some good VCs out there who do think long term. <laughs> it's funny because because I want to do venture capital, <laughs> which is um, so I don't mean to talk shit about the whole industry that I actually want to go into. <laughs> yeah, um, I just think that you have to be a lot more careful that you have those values or you have to always be careful that you have those values aligned and I think is more straightforward sometimes where there is a very obvious gain for those values to be aligned. Um, so um, we think about privacy a lot. We think about privacy like cybersecurity is massively important to me, like next level important. <laughs> um, 
it's yeah constant balance is like you want to be able to create a better system for everyone to create that better system you have to have the data um but at the same time when you're collecting the data you have to do everything you possibly can to make sure you're not collecting information you do not need that any information that is coming you're you know anonymizing it etc that there is no possible way that any single you know malicious agent could get that data and figure out who that person is etc or figure out that per person's like patterns of home activity um so i think we walk a very fine balance we always ask like do we need this data in the first place if you don't need the data if you can think of no possible reason why that would be useful don't collect it it's just the easiest way to secure things um and to protect people and yeah uh, it's like ultimately it's a line you can't win both sides you have to have data to create better housing right um but um you just have to do your best. And I think like Tesla does as well. Like you kind of, you know that you're getting a ton of your data collected every single time you're in those cars. Um, you know, I've got it so that it can record whatever it needs on my webcam, et cetera, because I trust them as a company. Um, and then I know that I'm bettering a system, which I think is better for our ultimate future. And so I, I hope that we can reach that same level of trust with Astria is that like people can buy into like, hey, like, can we use this data? Like here, here's what we're actually gonna use it for. We're doing our best to preserve everything and like, keep you secure. But if you let us use this data, here's what your future house is gonna look like. It's gonna be badass. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I love, I love what you just said. That was really thoughtful. I, I instantly thought of when like taking that idea versus when thinking about like just Facebook because it's such an easy example. Everyone uses always uses an example, but like because it's a because it's a great example. Like when we're interacting with the system and giving it information, like now that we know that that's what we're doing, is that pushing us towards a better future? Is that helping to construct a system that is going to uh, potentially benefit all of us? Like I don't I don't have that same like that same idea behind Astria and Tesla, I don't think it exists in some of the, some of these tech companies. So maybe there's, maybe there's potential there for rebranding. I think Apple is doing well. I really like where they're going. Um, I trust Apple with my data um, versus yeah, Meta, which I do not. So. Me too, but why? Is that because they offered us to be able to, like just those few little things like the, uh, I mean, Apple is privacy. That's that was one of their ads. So they've they've like pushed that onto us a little bit already. And they gave us like those little bits of um, like being able to hide our emails. And they've just done, done like a few things. But it totally it's true. Like I trust Apple way more with my I associate them with privacy and like which they it was obviously like a purposeful purposeful path they took to to get me to that point. And I, I think it worked, but I also think it's probably somewhat valid. Yeah, like I think at least like publicly, they've been pretty opposed to Facebook slash now Meta's principles. Um, so they've taken a stance, which you're right, doesn't necessarily always mean that it is in practice. Um, I think other reasons why is because I've never had the creepy factor from my Apple devices, you know, I don't, suddenly see an ad for something i'm just like where the hell did they like hear that from <laughs> like, yeah the microphones 
Yeah. And so I never had that creep factor from Apple that makes me think like, oh my gosh, like you're invading my life. Um, and then on the other side, they have actively taken those steps, which I know, or like, which you can understand are detrimental to their own company relationships to be like, Hey, do you want to stop this person or stop this app? Like being able to get your information. You're like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but the, they've taken that stance, even though that they know that that would ultimately be against what other companies want from them kind of at least reinforces the idea that they are trying to give you that option to keep control of your data and keep some kind of privacy about where you're heading. So yeah, I don't get that from random ads like get showing up on. And I think just in general, I don't know if Zuckerberg just has like a poor charisma or if he's actually as like bad as it's made out. Like he might just be a scapegoat, but I think there's also just like a brand um, perception, which is not strong with, with meta, so with the leadership. I also think in that case, it's like, this is this is a, a college kid that created this social network and now it's morphed into this thing that, I mean, no one understands like the real implications of Facebook. Like how, how could we? So it's, it's changed into this thing that we don't understand that like humans are leading. It's like, I don't want to like say that it has like a mind of its own, but like this it's almost like a it's like a dynamic entity it's a it's a strange thing that we have to like work with rather than like we're in complete control over so there so there might be like give and takes kind of like sorry no you go i think the difficulty we have with social media is the things that if you measure your success purely from engagement you drive the worst parts of humanity um and that is you have to be aware that having a metric of engagement and intention actually hacks into this kind of, you know, this is why we have end up with all these fear mongering headlines. This is why really angry debates, which, you know, provoke you negatively get more attention um, on social media. And so if you're not cognitive, you're not cognizant of that as a company and you just keep pushing for engagement, et cetera, because you're making profit, then you end up kind of like hacking into this like really poor, like monkey brain of humans <laughs> and bringing out worse behavior. Um, so I, I think the only way you can do that is by recognizing that like, okay, there is a very, very easy way to hack into the worst parts of human psychology. Let's not do that. Let's try to actually create something better with human, like, human time um, and create a more productive environment. But to do that is much more complex than it is to just kind of be like, whatever, clickbait. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. um, this, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Ch- Charmoth, he's, uh, I think not, he's, um, he's in the All In podcast and he's like, he's an investor, super famous. Um, but he's, he gave a talk at, I think, Wharton or Stanford Business School and he was talking about how the like fast and then I never thought about social media in this way because I stopped I stopped using Instagram and Snapchat and I, I've never used TikTok um in like June 2018 and before so I've had like my own very strange journey with social media and like trying to build this podcast in without it has been ridiculously difficult so it's like navigating that space is something I think about social media a lot um but he was talking about like the 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 motivational system I guess in 
social media is so fast. It's so immediate. Like the dopamine hits are like, as soon as you post, you're instantly going to start getting either gratification or non-gratification and how that directly contradicts how to build a long-term it contradicts long-term thinking in itself. Like it programs us to expect immediate rewards. Like say um, like you're, if you're building a company, like that's going to be truly useful and transformative, it's going to take a while to build. And it's like, it's going to be a really difficult path. It's like, you have to have that like really disciplined long-term thinking. And I think the point he was making was that social media is kind of priming us to be, to think less long-term or, or to at least favor uh, short-term gratification. And I've never seen that in such like a harmful, a harmful light. Cause you hear about like short attention spans, um, and all, all these things, like, obviously we're, we're like, so we're so addicted to our phones, but like what, what other consequences does that have? And it might actually be rewiring how we, like, we expect success to come earlier now. And I think I see that in myself, which I have to worry about, like, um, like doing this podcast thing. It's like, yeah, I've been doing it for two years and it's like, hasn't really taken off, but like, no, no one is successful in two years. It takes like 15 years for a company, like to be like really successful sometimes. Like my, my dad owns a, uh, a painting construction company and only in the last like few years, and he'd been doing it for 15 years before it was like steady, 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 steady. And then the exponential growth. And it's like, that's how it happens. But I'm just worried that these technologies are like making us more short-sighted and more difficult to see in the long-term. Yeah, I think there is definitely a problem. Uh, there's a hawk outside. <laughs> um, I nice. think there's, that's good luck. <laughs> uh, I think there's definitely a problem because you can escape into social media. You can have a terrible day. You can be unproductive at work. You know, you can be not making the progress you want to see and then you come home and, put a filter on something and put something up and get this, you know, what you're saying, like dopamine hit. And you're like, oh, cool. Like, you know, I do have some kind of like validation in the world, but it's not really a tangible validation. It doesn't translate to any future like betterment. Um, I think you get the extreme case is like, like Japan or Korea, where you get these, you've gotten those like cases where like the couple's actual children died because they're so busy taking care of a virtual ch child, you know? Oh, wow. I haven't heard that. Well, it's a lot, you know, you can, you can escape into a virtual world and you can be God. Like, it doesn't mean you actually have a grip on your actual life. Um, and I'm actually super against the entire shift towards the metaverse, et cetera, because I think it's like a, a continuation of that same problem. It's like, you literally have a, the world crumbling around us. Like, your infrastructure is screwed, especially in the US. Your healthcare system is screwed. We have a pending World War III. There are so many things to solve about actual physical reality and then you have this entire drive to just be like huh <laughs> let's like not deal with any of these things that actually directly impact our lives like let's just go run around inside like a virtual world um so yeah i i don't think it's positive um at the end of the day um yeah but i think you also have to know how to use it when like Social media, again, is a tool. And if you're not careful, of course, this can lead to non-beneficial outcomes. But like I'm on Instagram, et cetera, because I'm aware that we're building a company, et cetera. I'm aware that getting people to come along with a journey and like engaging, like letting people know what it's like to be a founder is beneficial to people. I hope it's beneficial to people. 
Um, even if like, I don't love going on, you know, like I, like sometimes I say to myself, I was like, you have to put like one tweet up a day and I just set myself a goal. <laughs> I was like, tweet, <laughs> like, just because I, I, I understand that this is a tool that can be used to augment, hopefully what is a, a beneficial cause for people. Um, so I think you also have to just understand when social media can be used um, productively. If you're building a podcast, for example. <laughs> It's difficult though, because it's not like a hammer that when you put the hammer down, it, it just, it's out of your mind. Like there's something like so deeply interactive with these things that makes it for me, at least like extremely difficult to just use as a tool. Like if I'm trying to use TikTok, like as a, as a method of promotion and branding and distribution, like it's so difficult not to get even with like really serious like conscious effort not to like get sucked in it's so hard not to like to it's very difficult to use it purely as a tool and it which is what i try to do i'm just i just want to say that it's really difficult or it has been difficult for me at least and one one thing you were talking about like when we're talking about like long, uh, longer timeline of metaverse, um, see, I, I see it as somewhat inevitable. Okay, great. Oh, great, Jesus, we get lost in conversation. Um, right, right now. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I've really appreciated talking to you. I, I had a great time. Likewise. Um, awesome. Well, I'm going to probably, so probably publish posts sometime like Thursday next week, like six-ish days, and I'll post like a little thing on LinkedIn. So I was wondering if there's any any way you could maybe repost to, repost to your network or share. And I'm going to edit cut this up because there's been moments in here where I've just been rambling, which I think is necessary sometimes to because sometimes difficult ideas need to be garbaged. You need to take a, a strange long path to, to get to a meaningful idea. So thank you for bearing with me while I'm deep in my own head, making no sense. I appreciate that. No, like I think, yeah, if you can just, I guess we're still, yeah, if you can just send a, a version before you go out as well, um, check over, that'd be good. And yeah. 100%. Happy to Absolutely. share. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. Good luck. I love, I really, I really love what you're doing and I think you're doing it really well. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one.